This is Real Estate News with Kathy Fedke. Official reports on consumer prices show that inflation is on the low side, but the true cost of living feels a little different. The cost of living that people are actually buying has risen sharply during the pandemic. Things like food, cleaning products, used cars, medical care, and real estate. Although the Fed feels that we're likely to see an extended period of low inflation, some economists say inflation is already here. At least one financing expert is also predicting that this low mortgage rate bonanza is about to end. I'm Kathy Fetke, and this is Real Estate News for Investors. The August inflation report shows a yearly rate of 1.3%, but that's far from the numbers you see when you look at individual product prices. Food prices, for example, were up 4.6% year-over-year in August. Medical care was up 5%, bicycles were up 6%, and products that have dropped are things that aren't selling very well right now, like makeup, fancy suits, and dresses for work, gas for your car, hotels, and airfare. School tuition is up about 1.3%, but according to the Wall Street Journal, that's the lowest rate of increase since the late 70s. So prices seem to be going in two directions, and the cost of living depends on what people are actually spending money on. That's why reality feels different than the official inflation report. There are also two common ways to measure inflation. The one that gets the most press is higher than the one used by the Federal Reserve, which is even farther than consumer reality. The one we hear about all the time is the CPI, or the Consumer Price Index. It's produced by the Bureau of Labor Statistics and is used to calculate the annual cost of living increase for Social Security checks. The other one is the PCE, which stands for Personal Consumption Expenditures. It's produced by the Bureau of Economic Analysis and usually runs lower than the CPI. It's also the one that is used by the Federal Reserve. So what's the difference between the two? They both use a basket of goods and services, but what's in the basket is somewhat different, along with the formulas used for calculating the rate of inflation. The CPI is based on what consumers are buying, while the PCE is based on what retailers are selling. There are several other differences as well, including the weight effect or the relative importance of certain goods and services over others. For example, price fluctuations of gas are given more weight than the price fluctuations of, say, fruit. The two different measurements also use different formulas, which is also known as the formula effect. The PCE might substitute a product that's fallen out of favor, while the CPI will keep the same basket without any changes. There's also something called the scope effect that allows for a wider range of related goods and services for the PCE. The two calculations also handle seasonal adjustments differently. As the Cleveland Fed points out, the details get complicated but it says the weight effect makes the biggest difference. According to the Fed's new policy on inflation, it won't raise short-term interest rates until inflation has risen above 2% for some period of time. That's to offset the amount of time that it's been below the 2% mark as it is now. Although those interest rate hikes are not directly connected to mortgage rates, they tend to influence them. Currently, mortgage rates are close to an all-time low, but according to at least one financing expert, they may be heading up next year. Financing expert David Stevens laid out five reasons that we could see higher mortgage rates in a Housing Wire article. Stevens has an impressive resume that includes former CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association. He points out that 2020 will be the second biggest mortgage year in history, with more than $3 trillion in loan originations and refinancing. He expects that to change as the economic recovery takes hold for these reasons. Number one, 
the Federal Reserve has been buying mortgage-backed securities to prop up the economy. If we get a COVID vaccine and the economy returns to normal, the Fed will likely reduce or stop those purchases. When that happens, mortgage rates will likely rise to attract new buyers for those securities. Two, the national debt is already close to 100% of GDP and headed higher. The Congressional Budget Office said in a paper, the projected budget deficits would boost federal debt to 104% of GDP in 2021, to 107% of GDP in 2023, and to 195% of GDP by 2050. The government will need to issue new treasuries to pay for the financing of that debt, and that will put pressure on interest rates. Three, the new adverse market fee will add 50 basis points to all refinancing loans. That's equal to an interest rate increase of 0.125% and goes into effect on December 1st of this year. The FHFA's plan to release Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac from conservatorship has certain capital requirements. That's expected to make loans backed by Fannie and Freddie more expensive. Stevens says that comment letters from Fannie Mae and others believe the GSC capital rule will add between 20 and 30 basis points to each loan. And five, Stevens also says that FHFA Director Mark Calabria is working quickly to release Fannie and Freddie, so any impact that might have on mortgages could happen sooner than later. Stevens referred to an old expression, make hay while the sun shines, in reference to the low mortgage rates we have right now. He says the sun is clearly shining on our industry this year. As for the future, he says it's important for mortgage banking executives to not misread the statements of Chairman Powell as a commitment to anything more than short rates. The rally you're experiencing this year is due to interventions in the market due to a pandemic recession. Normalization will take out buyers, eliminate the supply short, and inflation will ultimately do its thing on rates, just enough to cut the market by 25 to 30% in 2021, and a bit more in 2022. And what that boils down to is this. There's no time like the present to lock in record low interest rates on primary residences, second homes, and investment properties. In some of the fastest growing parts of the U.S., you can still buy new homes for the same price I paid 15 years ago, but with an even lower interest rate. Back then, we were paying around 6, 7, even 8% for investor loans, and today you can get it for about half that. This means cash flow today is even higher than when I started. And remember, with that 30-year fixed rate loan, The low rate is locked in for three decades, and you can pretty much count on rents going up during that time. So if you'd like to learn more about how and where to buy rental property, you'll find data on the fastest growing U.S. markets at our website at newsforinvestors.com. You'll also find in-depth webinars and blogs on the tax benefits of real estate investing, asset protection, a checklist for interviewing property managers, and most importantly, Referrals to 15 different teams across the country who specialize in offering full-service rental properties, the renovation and updating, the screening of tenants, and ongoing maintenance and rent collection is done for you at just about 8 to 10% of collected rents. It's free to join and free to access our learning center at newsforinvestors.com. I'm Kathy Fetke, and thanks so much for joining me here on Real Estate News for Investors. 